TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Way back and gone. Touch them all. It's Touch Them All. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying Touch Them All. Let's talk some baseball, shall we? Can't wait. Rami, Cannot wait. Rami Makhlouf in the house. And uh, if you're new to either Touch Them All, so th- this is the explanation of what's happening here. From a big picture standpoint, score north. And from a Touch Them All standpoint, if you're just a subscriber to the Touch Them All podcast mm-hmm. or the work that, uh, that Wetmore and I have done. So score north on 1500 is uh, what we've built and what we'll continue to build here as we go forward. Rami Maklov comes over from the fan in Milwaukee. You're a big baseball guy and I you follow the Brewers and the my Cubs. My first and- love. Baseball is my first love. I'm so jacked that we're talking baseball in January. Well, and we're going to do it every single week on Wednesdays from 1 o'clock until 2 o'clock and also on Mondays from 1 o'clock until 2 o'clock. Awesome. So plenty of baseball and more episodes of Touch Em All. And we have some other baseball shows planned here on the all-new Score North and scorenorth.com. That's S-K-O-R North.com. And you can follow all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Score North, S-K-O-R North. And this is live right now, so if you want to call in with twins takes and speculation, 651-646-8255. There will be a lot of that today. In fact, the whole thing is like... <laughs> twins takes and speculation. And let's let's make it official here. <laughs> All right. Reckless speculation. Uh, because we have... I'll let you set this one up. Yeah. We, we have sort of a jumping off point for the twins' success or lack thereof based on what we think. There's an over-under win total that we found interesting. And later on, there's it's not even a rumored trade. It's just a credible baseball writer who says, I think this team should trade for Byron Buxton, and this is what the Twins would get. We'll do that later in the and show. And you were intrigued by that. And we'll, we'll get to that in, yes. in just a little bit. But the over-under has been set for all 30 Major League Baseball teams, including your Minnesota Twins. And I was actually... Despite my own expectations, but because of the feeling around this Twins team and the feeling that I've gotten from Twins fans since arriving in in Minneapolis, I was surprised that the number was as high as it is in in terms of the the over-under for Twins wins in the 2019 season. 84. Fangraphs has them winning 83, but Vegas has the over-under at 84 for the 2019 Minnesota Twins. Now, me personally, having having done the research that I felt I needed to do about this baseball team... You just went to before, hot, hot dog luncheon downstairs. Right? That's pretty much Yes, that, that was all it took. But doing the research that it, that it took before taking this job... I think that's very, very doable. I think that they could they could outdo that. I'm looking now. Obviously, there's still a lot of off season to happen, and and we'll get a much better feel for this team in spring training and see what they can do in the Grapefruit League. But just in in looking at the roster and and what I think this team can do. I think 84 is easily attainable. I can see anywhere from 85, 85 to 90 wins for this Twins team this year. It's a bad division, man. Now, I'll preface this by saying I think I've said over 84 mm-hmm. pretty much every year I've been at 1,500, whether it's AM 1,500 or 1,500 ESPN or now score north on 1,500. So yeah. I am the eternal Twins colored glasses when it comes to predicting before the season. That's sure. kind of the beauty of baseball in that, you know what? I know last year was a drag, but hey, if... All of these things go right, then your team can can achieve something. And now it's it's a little bit lower hanging fruit in terms of how many teams make the playoffs. More teams have a chance because you've expanded with that wild card. 
I think over 84 is where I'm putting my chips. So if if you if you gun to the head, you have to put you know chips on the roulette table. Uh, I'm taking the over, and I'll go I'll go a step further and say, looking at this lineup, I just want to lay this out for you. Now that the Twins have added Nelson Cruz, who I omitted from our our pre-show prep email, I forgot about Nelson Cruz and the Twins lineup. Maybe their best hitter. <laughs> Nelson Cruz is. Did you uh, really? I didn't even yeah. notice that. Did I put, you not include him? I put like Jake Cave as their DH or something. But Nelson Cruz, breaking news, is is in the <laughs> Twins lineup. If you look at the Twins, so the, the I agree with you. There's still more to be done potentially, and more money to be spent in free agency. But I think it's on the pitching side because their lineup and their position players. They've already made some signings: Jonathan Scope, CJ Crone, uh, Nelson Cruz. They're set in terms of position players, and it's about will they add a starting pitcher or will they add another reliever? Just a thought experiment here. If you went through every player around the Twins lineup, whatever the order is, and if you put them at their peak career-high capability, which I know is not, like, never do you get all nine guys right. doing the same uh, you know career season all at once, except the 2006 Twins kind of did that with Justin Morna was the MVP and Maurer hit like 315 stuff. I'm just going to throw these numbers at you, Rami, the peak best season offensively for each of these guys, OPS and home runs. Okay? All right. Are you an OPS guy? I'm or? a big OPS guy. What about batting average? Uh, not so much. We're going to get along. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, you know, batting average, if you're a batting average person, you're probably going to, you're probably going to hate touch them all. But, uh, but OPS is, is a good middle ground. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's the best measure of an offensive player. There's probably a few sabermetric steps beyond that, like weighted on base average, the, where they properly weight on base compared to slugging. But for the purposes of entertaining radio, yep. I think that's the best measure of an offensive player in baseball. Actually, the second segment, we're going to break down the mathematical formula for wins above replacement live on the radio. <laughs> that's that's why I'm here. That's why you guys brought me here. So the catching situation, it's not the greatest offensive situation. It's Jason Castro, Mitch Garver, and then it's kind of an assorted mix. So yeah. well, that's that's sort of a, a punt offensively. First base, CJ Crone. Again, we're going if they reach their peak, just for fun here. 816 OPS last year with the Rays and 30 home runs. So a 30 home run hitter. I'll take that. Jonathan Scope, 841 OPS two years ago with Baltimore and 32 home runs. And I think he had uh, some MVP votes too. Uh, in 2017? 2017. What did yeah, I that, say last year? Yeah, you did say two last years year. Okay. Two All years right. ago. Yeah. Uh, third base, Miguel Sano. His peak season, 859 OPS with 28 home runs in a partial season in which he missed like a month. And I think we all agree that if if Miguel Sano gets his head on straight, there's there's even a better season than that Yeah, somewhere in that, dude. Yes, there should be 900 OPS right. and 40 home runs. Yeah, uh, Jorge Polanco, and this was post-steroid suspension, in case you're wondering how sustainable is it, mm-hmm. unless he found some other good stuff that's mm-hmm. under the radar. <laughs> But a 770 OPS, by the way, if you're not familiar with OPS, if you have an 800 OPS, you're doing some work. 800 OPS is a really good OPS in baseball. It's on base plus slugging. Jorge Polanco for a shortstop just under an 800 OPS is very good. And 27 extra base hits. That was a half season last year for him. Okay. Eddie Rosario in his best season, 27 bombs, 836 OPS. Byron Buxton still hasn't put it together for a full year. But even in his sort of, you know, stop start. Uh, career so far, his best year, 16 homers, 29 stolen bases, best defense in the league in center field. Max Kepler hasn't got it going yet. Still hit 20 home runs last year with a 7-something OPS, and Nelson Cruz hits 40 home runs every single year, even though he's almost 40. So you've got pretty much, out of nine hitters in your lineup, you've got 
seven who have or have come close to hitting 30 home runs in a season very recently, either last year or the year before or a couple years ago. Um, and you have one guy in Max Kepler who people think is going to be a powerful, everyday, uh, middle-of-the-order type bat. And then whatever you get out of your catching situation, that is a ton of offensive upside. So even if you can get 75% of that, this is a this is an 84 plus win team. That's why when I was I was looking at this roster and I haven't I haven't been here as long as some of you guys. You guys gave me a pretty thorough education on Minnesota sports yesterday and and why some of you are as downtrodden as you are when it comes to expectations for your professional sports teams, but I was looking at this and going, what is with the pessimism? What's with the lack of optimism around this Twins team? Because I see a young manager in Rocco Baldelli, who I, I think has a bright future. I just look at sort of the the tree that he comes from, and, and I think that he's he's one of the brighter young minds in baseball. We won't know that until he actually gets in the dugout. I think you look at the combination of uh, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, and, and you have two bright young minds running this organization, and then you start going through the roster and some of the stuff that that you just went over there, Phil, and I think there's plenty to be optimistic about with this Twins team, and it was just in 2017 where this team, while still very young, won 85 games and finished second in the AL Central. Did did people just not buy that when it happened around here? Did they think that was a fluke and then that was confirmed by, by a step back last year? Or what what exactly happened for for Twins fans to be as pessimistic as it feels like they are to me in, in the short yeah. time that I've been here? That's a really good question. How much time do we have? <laughs> because now we're getting into the psyche. we got about five more minutes before we get a break, and Derek Wetmore will join us. Uh, from Arizona, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Derek. Derek's going to be back in the mix uh, all in next week. He's going to join us for a segment on this show uh, today. But So it's kind of a two-part answer, I would say. Number one, the Yankees have owned the Twins for 15 years. Okay. The, the Yankees, starting in 2003... Beat the Twins in four games in the ALDS. They beat them in four games in the ALDS in 2004. It was a sweep in 2009, a sweep in 2010, and regular season debauchery for the Twins against the Yankees for the 15 years. And the Twins took a 3 nothing lead on the Yankees in the first inning at Yankee Stadium. Brian Dozier hits a bomb off the bat. Uh, they take a 3 nothing lead, and then the Yankees come back and score three runs in the bottom of the first inning and then go on to destroy the Twins. So I think it was... Here we go again. Fake Twins playoff team runs into an actual team. And (laughs) so it's just sort of this hollow feeling of, yeah, but it doesn't matter because you're not spending with the Yankees. You're not as confident as the Yankees. Uh, Certainly when the lights are bright, you're not performing at the same level as the Yankees. So I think there was this exasperated feeling of the same wall that you've been banging your head against as a fan and as an organization. And then the second, and this is more of just a big picture reason for why fans tend to lean pessimistic with the Twins these days. When they moved into Target Field in 2010, there were a lot of perceived promises from the ownership and from the front office. I say perceived because never was it said once by a member of the Polad family, we're going to spend with the New York Yankees now that we have a new ballpark. Right. That's not how the ba- that's not how Baseball works. It's not how baseball economics work. The Yankees are bringing in $400 million of revenue that the Twins aren't with a TV deal. And there's all kinds of reasons with no salary cap why the Yankees and the Red Sox and other teams spend more money. But it was bad when the Twins won won 95 games or 96 in 2010. 
got swept by the Yankees in the playoffs and then lost 99 games the next year. And Joe Maurer had bilateral leg weakness. And it was, there was just a lot of mistrust between fans, front office, and ownership starting the second year of Target Field. And they've mostly been playing the yeah, but we'll be good soon card for a decade. And I think the Twins have a lot of work to do to just earn fans' trust back going to the ballpark, watching games on TV. I mean, it's not like they're hurting for business, but right. they've got to put a viable product on the field that can conquer some of these bigger teams in the American League. And then I think fans will say, all right, finally, that's what we wanted 10 years ago when Target Field was built. But I think if you put the the emotion aside of, of everything that you've just been through, and, and you, you stated that all very well as to why we've come to I this point. I think about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you put the emotion of it aside and sort of look at this as a new era, I mean, it was... It wasn't Falvey and Levine promising you that they'd be good soon and until those guys came over after the 2016 season. And I think that you, you place a certain amount of faith and trust in those guys because of where they've come from and, and the success that they had in past stops. And then you look at the players who are on this roster and you're just one season removed from an 85-win season and, and an 85-win season from a very young team. And I think that if you look at it objectively, and again, remove the emotion of everything that you just talked about, Phil, the arrow is pointing up and going back to, to the question that, that started this whole discussion of the over-under of 84 wins, that seems very realistic and even easily breakable in in my mind. Yeah, well, one thing, I I agree, I agree. You and I are going to be, I think it's sounds like you and I are going to be the most optimistic twin people on Score North. <laughs> so, well, welcome to the We might have to, to add party. a third person who's going to add some pessimism. Get Judd back in here. <laughs> Call Rice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I think, I really think it's about, and, and Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are on the record saying this. Falvey was uh, was open with me and Judd back in November before the winter meetings in a half-hour sit-down just yeah. saying, you have to get your core right first in baseball before you can start adding free agents and big trades that are going to really push you over the top. If you try to do it the other way around, if you try to build a team that's bad – up from free agency, and and there's all kinds of teams that win the winter meetings mm-hmm. when the Blue Jays signed Mark Burley and Jose Reyes like four years ago. Right. Dumpster fire. Right. Uh, when the Angels signed Albert Pujols and C.J. Wilson and whoever else, they never go to the playoffs, right? So there's a lot of examples of teams that try to fix an eroded core with free agency and trades, and these guys understand, especially when you're not a big, big market team, you've got to get the core right, and then you can start adding, and I think... It's pretty safe to say from a pitching standpoint, for sure, it's been nine or ten years since the Twins have had a viable number one starter, Johan Santana. So get your core right and then go add that free agent. Then go add that big trade on July 31st. I'll push you over the top. And I know that I'm looking at your water bottle and you just to introduce Rami to the to the audience here even further. Chicago native. You spent 12 years in Milwaukee covering another Twins like team in Mm -hmm. the Brewers. Yep. So you've seen the Brewers model, which is. The Twins are better at that the last 25 years than the Brewers are, but the Brewers are, are better right now than the Twins are. Yeah. But the Cubs, Cubs have a bigger payroll, but the Cubs, who I'm assuming you're a fan of with the... Uh, the fly the W yeah, yeah. water bottle. Yeah. So you can you can shed some light on this. It wasn't like people thought, oh, they signed John Lester. Right. Right. 
But they had all of these guys that were internal and, and built up their nucleus this first. Was, this was a debate I had to have with a lot of Brewers fans in my time in Milwaukee because they want to discredit or discount the World Series championship by saying the Cubs bought it. And on some level, I mean, they, they, I mean, they did pay John Lester a boatload of money. They brought in Jason Hayward for a lot of money. But when you look at the actual proportion, the proportion of talent that is homegrown, and how much they they went out and bought or traded for it is overwhelmingly homegrown talent that they have there. I mean, you look around that infield, which when they won the World Series in 2016, the entire infield made the All-Star game. It was Wilson Contreras at catcher, homegrown. Anthony Rizzo, who they traded for when he was still in the minors. Uh, Javi Baez and Addison Russell, who were both uh, either drafted or traded for when they were in the minors. Chris Bryant, who was drafted by the team. I mean, that whole, All-Star, yeah. that whole All-Star infield was essentially homegrown. Two-thirds of their outfield was essentially homegrown. They did their their strategy was draft position players, draft offense, and then sign the pitchers later. And it worked for them in, to the tune of four straight playoff appearances, two division titles, three NLCS appearances, and a World Series title. So that I think that that formula does work if you can do it. I think the 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 team that I've been covering for the last dozen years or so is a more realistic model for the Twins in terms of how they built it, and I think they're moving in that direction. With the the front office that they have and and their belief in how you build not a starting rotation but a pitching staff from top to bottom and David Stearns I think in Milwaukee took that to a whole new level where they don't even call them starters and relievers anymore they have initial outgetters and then and then late late inning outgetters is is how they termed it down there in Milwaukee is that how Fox Sports local affiliates are going to start putting those graphic screens up instead <laughs> yeah, of starting I, pitcher I like think, just like I, a guy who comes in in the middle of games I think, but I, I do think that that's a model that the Twins and a lot of teams in in markets like Minnesota can follow rather than spending the money on that ace Spend, spread that money out, get some really, really good arms out of your bullpen to the point where you're only asking for five innings at most on average from your starter night in and night out. Put less on your starting rotation if you can't afford to get that bona fide number one ace. Yes. Actually, there is something I think the Twins can start to steal from the Brewers model that we should talk about with Derek Wetmore when we come back mm-hmm. here. Wetmore is in Arizona for the week. Uh, visiting some family. He'll be back next week in the mix full on, but we'll get him on the phone and uh, continue. Touch them all live on Score North. Score North on 1500, the all-new, and you can find Score North content in audio, written, and video form all about your favorite local Minnesota sports teams at scorenorth.com, and the numbers are 651-646-8255 throughout the day. Stand back. We don't know how big this is going to get. Scorenorth.com. Welcome to Touch 'em All on Score North, the all new Score North on fifteen hundred. I'm Phil Mackey, and this is a newcomer to the Score North slash fifteen hundred team, Rami Maklov, and a, a big time baseball fan and aficionado and baseball fact, junkie. I'm junkie, a baseball junkie. Injected into your veins. Yes, sir. Uh, another injected into his veins guy is on the phone line here. Derek Wetmore, we have a... Uh, We've expanded Touch Em All to uh, multiple times a week to sometimes live on 1500 here on Score North, and we're super excited. We know you're going to be back in the mix next week, but this is the this is the baby that Wetmore and I started from like my living room four years ago, just talking twins, 
And now uh, here we are. I guess we're 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 more big time than we were a few years ago. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see what the next step looks like. I'm jacked to have uh, Manny and Rami on the team as well to help us grow this thing. A couple other people too. We're gonna we're gonna grow this with a good team. And I just wanted to make one correction before we do jump into Twins and baseball talk. Here is you mentioned I'm a inject baseball into my veins. I'm actually the dissolvable tablet kind of guy. Oh, okay, I yeah. that all dissolve, right. drink it down. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Yeah. Now, sometimes I'll just snort a line of baseball too. It kind of depends. Yeah. The first baseline or third baseline? You know, it depends on uh, day game or night game. I prefer you know? just putting it into the old veins. <laughs> just, just get it right in there. Let's not waste any time. Uh, so we were just we were just talking about uh, the, some over under win totals for the Twins. Like Fangraphs has them at eighty three. Vegas has the over under at eighty four. And uh, and then that conversation morphed into. What what does the future look like for the Twins in terms of timing for how good they can be? And I, I think they can steal a page from the Brewers playbook here at some point, Derek. Instead of, we talk about free agents all the time. The Brewers made a savvy trade for Christian Yelich at the right time. And now, I don't know if anyone would have foreseen Christian Yelich turning into the MVP monster that he was last year. But when do you think the timing is right for the Twins to start to look to take some of their good young players, some of their the players in their top 20 prospect list, and go find whatever the Christian Yelich equivalent is? It's a great question. It's, it, to me, it's been the central question of how they're forming this offseason. And I guess I don't know. I, I might just disagree with their front office. If you look at some of the moves they've made this year, Phil, they are clearly in wait-and-see mode. I mean, Nelson Cruz is a good player. That's going to help them win games in 2019. But... They've watched a lot of starters fly off the shelf. They've watched a lot of relievers fly off the shelf. And then their moves on the right side of the infield to replace Brian Dozier and Joe Maurer, while you can see the individual logic in each of them, they're not, they're not swing for the fences type moves. It's, I mean, Jonathan Scope's a bounce back candidate. So you just got him at a decent price. CJ Crone was a waiver claim. I'm not saying they're not good players. I'm not saying they're not making their 2019 team better. But I think that each time you look at a move like that, you think, I think they're trying to not lose this move rather than make a Christian Yelich type type offer. Now, is the timing right for that? I think it is. If you're looking to be a World Series contender, you need to be a lot better than you currently are right now. And the, the, the way this offseason is shaking out right now, granted it's not done, the way it's shaking out right now, it looks like they're aiming for that sort of 90-win total and see what happens in July. You see, I think the mistake that, that organizations make and, and that Phil is kind of making right now and that I made when, when David Stearns came to Milwaukee to be the GM was necessarily putting a timetable on it. When he came there, everybody assumed that it was one of these Kansas City Royals, Chicago Cubs styles, complete teardown rebuilds that usually takes four to five years. And he told us, and, you know, you chalk this up to GM talk, but he would tell us this team will tell us when it's ready to compete. These players on this roster will tell us when they're ready to compete. And they went out and had a surprisingly good year, fell short of the playoffs. And then David Stearns, he didn't necessarily, I don't think, feel a need to go out and make the big Christian Yelich move. What he does is he just kicks the tires on everybody and everything. And if the right guy presents itself at the right price 
at the right time. And all those things were there last year when you talk about not just Christian Yelich, but Lorenzo Cain, who they got at a pretty cheap price because of the way that the free agent market was moving last offseason. They they had the budget to go out and get Lorenzo Cain because he was the right guy at the right price at the right time. And even the trade market was pretty slow last year while the Marlins were trying to have a fire sale. And yeah. so they saw an opportunity to go and get a Christian Yelich who had a high ceiling. I don't think they thought he'd reach that ceiling that quickly, but they knew he had a high ceiling and thought, here's the right guy at the right price at the right time. Let's get him. And so the timeline played out the way that it played out because I don't think that they had any predetermined timeline going into that, Derek. I think that's the same approach that the Twins should take. It it, it might not look like they're close enough to go and get that Christian Yelich type of guy, but the market being what it is, it might be the perfect time to strike if if that opportunity presents itself. Well, and I guess to your point on the Brewers, I think two years ago, the Brewers and Twins were in a pretty similar spot. It yes. was like, okay, uh, you know, mid-80s win team, not a huge market, got some nice young players that you like for the future. Uh, what, where are you going to be competitively over the next five years? And then they went and got Locaine on the free agent deal and traded for Christian Yelich. I mean, they gave up a big-time prospect, but they weren't scared of that. Mm-hmm. And the Twins uh, didn't. The Twins didn't do that. They went and got one-year deals at a discount for Lance Lynn and Logan Morrison and on and on. We praised them individually for each of those moves last year, but you look at the totality of their offseason and compare it with the Brewers, it's not even close. Milwaukee had a way better offseason. So I guess I just wonder when is the time for that move for the Twins, and I'm probably always going to be the aggressive guy, go, 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 you figure out the aftermath later. But one name to bring up and maybe throw him into this conversation is, as I look around the, the diamond for the Twins, one of the questions I have is at catcher. I like Mitch Garver's bat. I thought he got better as a catcher defensively last year. Um, Jason Castro was a big loss for them. But one of the guys that's sitting out there from the Marlins that they didn't sell is JT Realmuto. I wonder what you guys think about that. If, if now would be the time to really go get your catcher of the future and try to trade, it would take you a lot in terms of prospects to get it done. But do you try to go get a superstar at that position and, and really shore it up for now and for the future. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'd have to dig more on. Uh, do we have any idea how many years of service time? I think he has, has three more years of contractual control. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was two, but okay. I could be wrong on that, guys. The the point is, you'd get him in, you'd have him for a, a couple years, maybe three years of control, and then you start talking extension because he'd be one of those core players for you at his age and his stage in his career. Yeah, he's. So let me let me state first and foremost, I really like what the Twins have done this offseason so far. Derek and I probably disagree a little on that. I like I I like some of the selected uh the selective shots that they've taken. I love the Nelson Cruz shot. I love the fact that if he is still really good this whole season, you've got a team option to bring him back in 2020. Um I like the buy low uh deal with Jonathan Scope. And I even like adding uh, the Angels closer from last year, Parker, to to the bullpen. I like that they've taken these little. I know people get mad because well, why don't you go out and spend 150 million dollars on a big splash? And well, that would have been you, Darvish, last year, and we saw how that worked out for the Cubs. Yeah. So I'm I'm still okay with them in supplemental mode for right now. And if a JT Real Muto made sense, and you didn't have to give up, I think you have to determine if he doesn't resign and you only get him for two years, are you going to be able to accomplish enough in the next two years? Uh, to offset 
giving away maybe five or six years of two or three different players. And it is two years. I looked it up. It is two years left of contractual control that you'd have with Real Muto. But much like, and because it's the same team and and very much the same situation a year later, much like how the Brewers were able to get Christian Yelich. Yeah, they gave up some prospects, but I don't think the price tag was as high as a lot of people thought it might be to get a Christian Yelich because of what the market was and not a lot of people knocking on the Marlins' door last offseason. It seems very similar this offseason. I don't know, Derek, I don't know if you've heard anything about Real Muto and, and the rumors recently, but when winter meetings were going on, it seemed like there was three, four, maybe even five teams that were seriously interested in him, and it might turn into a bidding war. But if if that was the case, I got to think that something would have happened by now if somebody wanted him as badly as it as it appeared then. I feel like the interest and and the talks have sort of died down and cooled off a little bit surrounding Real Muto, and you may be able to get him at a lower price than what you originally thought. Yeah, good public relations on the part of the Marlins to make sure everybody thought he was a hot ticket and no one could possibly get him for their top 10 prospects all combined. I don't know what it would take in terms of uh, talent sending the other way for the Twins, but I also kind of look at their organization like this. I think they have their wave of players right now, and the official stance for me on this show, guys, I'll just let you know, is we're done calling this team young because these guys aren't young anymore. Uh, you know, you look around the league and they're, they're, they're guys who've been starring for their team for two or three years by the time they reach Max Kepler's age or Miguel Sano's age or even Jose Barrios. Like they're, they're not young anymore. We've, we've seen this core, this, this group of Barrios, Polanco, Kepler, Sano, Buxton, Eddie Rosario, Kepler, that group to me is one wave of twins talent. I think you should try to capitalize on it. The next wave of talent centers around Alex Kirloff and Royce Lewis. Now, what you don't want to do, I guess, is get caught sort of in between if you don't think that first wave is good enough to win a World Series. Okay, then maybe you don't clear out your farm system and try to get it done. But if you do think it's good enough to get there, then I think you owe it to that group. You owe it sort of to the fans and really to yourself to to take that shot. Now, I guess they're trying to set themselves up, too, to be in a really great position when Kirilov and Lewis are ready to debut. But I just don't think you can get too hung up on the future. And, you know, your top ten prospect list, let's be honest, every year we talk about, well, this guy shouldn't be on the trade market. This guy, well, he's going to be a superstar someday. And you just look at the history of top ten lists, and not all of them are going to pan out. Not every single guy on that list is going to be a good big leaguer. So... My my two cents is take a shot with this wave of talent and don't be too afraid to pay in a currency that you're currently rich in right now, in my view, which is prospects and trading some of that future control for a better win total in 2019. Uh, that's Derek Wetmore, who you can find covering the Twins in written form, in audio form, video, social for Score North and scorenorth.com, S-K-O-R-North.com. And uh, he'll be a regular on this Touch 'em All show too. You're going to be able to find Touch 'em All live on AM 1500 here on Mondays and Wednesdays in the one o'clock hour, and assorted on-demand episodes too. And the best place to find it if you're if you use a third party uh, like Apple or uh, any other third party, you can either search the specific show you're listening to, so Touch 'em All. Or if you want all of our twin shows, which we're going to start building out here in the coming weeks and months, you can just find them 
Score North Twins all in one bin as you're uh, as you're listening to podcasts. So, and Rami Maklov is uh, is also co-hosting with me today. I'm Phil Mackey. If you're just uh, tuning into this, what is this Score North stuff? Well, we're having fun talking Minnesota sports yesterday and today. The first two days of Score North on 1500. Uh, Derek Rocco Baldelli, the new Twins manager, did spend time visiting both. I believe both Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. He traveled. Did he travel to the Dominican Republic and then to Georgia to visit both both uh, Sano and Buxton? Is that correct? If he did, I love it. I think that's the right move. Yeah, well, that's my next question. So that's my next question. Like whether whether he has or hasn't. I know he's visited at least Miguel Sano. To what degree can Rocco Baldelli unlock those two guys? To what degree is he either powerful enough or responsible for what they do in 2019? Oof. I guess if uh, if question A with this group is when's their window? Question. You know, two, A, two, I don't know. <laughs> the second question that I'd ask myself is, how good are Buxton and Sano going to be? And for me, Rocco Baldelli gives them the best chance. I still don't think it's, you know, foregone conclusion that you can just come in, flip this switch and say, okay, now these guys feel empowered and someone that can collect, connect with millennials. Yay, we're going to win the World Series. I think it's going to take a lot more than that because you look at the underlying concerns with both of those guys, right? Sano, you questioned the sort of the conditioning, and I guess by extension the larger question is what's the want to? You're just going to try to be a 40 home run hitter who hits, you know, 230 with a somewhat empty batting average and and hits some dingers, or are you going to be a third baseman who's capable, who can last through a 162 game season? who can not only hit for the power, but also keep that on-base percentage up and rack up hits and line drives throughout the course of a year. Those are, those are real questions, and I don't think that's something that a manager-player relationship necessarily gets at the core of. I, I think there's more to unlocking that, and I think if, if you're the Twins, I think you've got to be pretty happy that James Rousen is sticking around as the hitting coach because I think he, along with some of the other staffers that they're adding in, are going to give Sano his best possible chance to succeed still, like I said, not a foregone conclusion with Buxton. Sure. Connecting with him. That's great. Uh, I love it. I, I think there's a lot to the whole empowerment. There's the take the pressure off a guy who was one of the top draft picks in 2012 and hasn't really lived up to that billing just yet. Um, but it's, it's so much more than that too, because with Buxton it's contact. It, it's not just, do you feel empowered? Do you feel confident are you ready to succeed from a mental standpoint? It's can you identify a slider early enough to spit on it if it's in the other batter's box? Can you turn around some of the max velocity that you're going to see in the big leagues every single day? I think those questions are maybe even harder to sort out, harder to deal with, maybe harder to project. But if you're talking about from a person-to-person like communication standpoint, I think Rocco Baldelli has checked all the boxes in the early going series Twins manager. Now it's up to those two guys to sort of get what they have talent-wise to play up on the field. I feel like the situation with the Twins and Sano and Buxton is the same as the situation with the Wolves and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Don't, figuring out those two guys and tapping their full potential and getting them to their ceiling isn't all you have to do, but it's... 
It's the most paramount thing that you have to do. It's the key to unlocking the success for this franchise as a whole is is really cracking the code with those two young guys and and getting the full production that you can possibly get out of them. Derek, real quick before before we let you go here, in the first segment we were talking about the over under as uh, as Phil alluded to of eighty four wins. Phil and I are both very optimistic that they can do it, and Phil presented the most optimistic scenario that could possibly play out, which was peak <laughs> offensive output from everybody in the day to day. Lineup. What do you think happens if they do that? And what's the flip side of that? Yes, Phil. Phil, I love it. Drink in the optimism. Let optimism <laughs> rain, baby. <laughs> I think if they perform up to their capabilities, one through nine in the lineup, and all the backups, and Williams Asadio is an MVP candidate in this league, too, I think this is a team that could be. They could feature one of the best offenses in the American League, and I don't think that's a stretch. That would put them at a 90-plus win team, and of course you're going to add in July, so now you're talking 95, 96 wins, all the way to the World Series. We're going to win twins. We're going to win twins. All right. And now the flip side of that. <laughs> just yeah, kill the mood. That is the optimistic bench. Yeah. That is what you go with all winter, all the way into spring training. Downside, if they run into injuries like they did last year, this team's a 500 club and not adding in July. They're subtracting in July. And that's, I think, what you have to guard against if you're the Twins. I think uh, if you're pinning me down over under 84, I'm going to mash the over. But I also be wary that last year I thought they'd win more than that, too. And Things really got off the rails pretty quickly for him. But you, so you, you, Rami says over. Yes, I say over. Yes, Derek says he mashes the over. I am over, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Derek, thanks for joining us from uh, from Arizona, and we'll see you back in here. Uh, you'll be on Touch 'Em All on Monday, and I know that people are going to be interested in uh, in connecting with you on your live chat too. So we'll fire those up probably starting next week again too. That's right, and I want to grand marshal the parade when it starts on Nicollet Avenue sometime in uh, late October. <laughs> Everywhere we walk, just <laughs> Derek marching out in front. <laughs> All right, see you, Wetmore. Thanks, guys. All right, you can follow him at Derek Wetmore on Twitter, and you can follow our new Twitter account at Score North S K O R North. Uh, not only Twitter, but Instagram and YouTube and Facebook, and the website is scorenorth.com. When we come back here, a little, uh, little reckless Byron Buxton speculation I on like Touch Em All. Phil Mackey, Rami Maklov, Manny Hill behind the scenes. You can tell everyone that we met online. Scorenorth.com. All right, welcome back to a live episode of Touch Em All here. Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. Rami Maklov in the house. We got Manny Hill here. Uh, if you missed Derek Wetmore from Arizona, it was a lot of Twins optimism near the end of that last segment. A lot of Twins optimism. Yeah, we were planning the parade. Is it Hennepin Avenue? I Is think, it First Avenue? Is it the freeway? It's all over downtown, man. It just weaves in and out? Yep. You can't bring it to Uptown? I'm gonna you know what? Go, I'm going to have to go downtown. That's a nice idea. You see? <laughs> I think it's a little more hectic down there in Uptown. Yeah, there's nowhere to park the floats. That's the problem. (laughs) That's true. That is true. Streets are real narrow in Uptown. Yeah, you'll find that. Real narrow. 
Uh, did you at least do you have a uh, do you have like a parking area or do you have to parallel no, park your way around? parking? Yeah, parallel parking. If it ever snows again, sometimes that can be an issue, but uh, we'll help you through it. We'll help you through. So it. far, so good. So you were digging around. Reckless speculation. I was and found this article from ESPN's David Schoenfeld. Five moves we want to see this off season, and he just makes up trades that he thinks make sense. He actually has four different moves by the uh, by the Reds. the Reds. Yeah, he's just overhauling that whole roster. Yeah. <laughs> now that's reckless speculation. Yeah, that's peak <laughs> reckless speculation. But then he has the Colorado Rockies trading former third overall pick in 2013. And serviceable major league starting pitcher, but hasn't quite risen to the level on a consistent basis that the Rockies had hoped. He's shown flashes. He has, and he's only 26 years old. He has Mm -hmm. three years of team control left. John Gray to the Twins for Byron Buxton. So let me zoom this out for you guys. Two-part question. Would you trade Byron Buxton, three years of Byron Buxton, for two years of John Gray? I think that's the way it works out. Maybe it's yes. three years of th- for three years. No, Buxton, or excuse me, Gray has two years left. Okay. Yeah. Would you trade Buxton for Gray? And part two is, would you trade Buxton for I'm a, sorry, a young I pitcher? It, I have it backwards. Gray has three years of service time um, okay. accrued. No, I had it right. Gray has three years of service time accrued. Buxton has just over two. Okay. So. Would you trade Buxton for Gray, and or would you trade Buxton for a young pitcher? I would not, and I would not for because and and this is something I touched on earlier in the show five years ago. Rami would have never believed that now Rami is saying what I'm about to say. I think the most important thing in roster construction is building your offense first, and then going out and getting the pitching, and especially in a market. Like Minnesota, where you're not going to spend like the Yankees, Dodgers, Cubs of the world, I think you need to go with the model that the Brewers and the Indians and and teams in similar markets to Minnesota have used over the last few years and used successfully, which is stock your bullpen with with just four or five really good arms who can carry you from the fifth inning on on any given night if that's what you need out of them. And you can do that a little bit more cheaply and spend a a little bit less on the the starting, or not the starting staff, the pitching staff as a whole, top to bottom, starters all the way down through your relievers and really spend more of that money on your offense and rely a little bit less on on your pitching. The game has changed in in that sense over the last... I want to say four, five, six years. We've really seen a change in the way that the game is played and the way that rosters are built. Yeah. What about you, Manny? I would not trade Byron Buxton for John Gray simply because I I think John Gray has a lot of talent and a lot of potential, but he's in some ways he's kind of in the same boat as Buxton where you know the talent is there, but he hasn't really fully reached that potential yet, and you're not really sure if he's ever going to. And I think... In the case of Buxton, I think the Twins are better off going with the unknown that they already have versus the unknown that they would get if they actually move him. Now, if the question is moving Byron Buxton for a more established, proven commodity frontline pitcher, then I would probably do it. So this, yeah, I, I'm out on John Gray, too, for, for this trade. Mm-hmm. If it was, would you trade for John Gray? yes. Because I think you're buying low on John Gray. Right. But this would also be a terrible time to trade Byron Buxton. 
The Twins have made this mistake so many times in their franchise recent history. Carlos Gomez was struggling and sputtering, and they probably didn't do him any favors by keeping him in the major leagues as a leadoff hitter when he was very clearly not a major league hitter. Uh, but then instead of trying to build him back up and maybe send him to AAA for a while, whatever it is, they traded him, and, the, and they traded him at his low point. And it was a smart trade at the time because they got J.J. Hardy. They bought low on J.J. Hardy, but then they sold low on him, too, and they wound up with Jim Hoey. They basically traded Carlos Gomez for Jim Hoey. That's some anonymous reliever. Yeah, that's not a good trade. (laughs) No. No. Um, They uh, they traded Delman Young at his low point. He never really went back up, but they could have traded him after his 100 RBI, 30 home run season. So, Mike, if, if you trade Byron Buxton right now, He's not getting worse. He hit a buck forty last year, right. and he's right now one of the biggest busts in baseball. So I, I'd much rather hang on to him and try and ride the wave up as far as it'll go because his upside is still very much MVP caliber upside if he ever reaches it, where he's the best defensive outfielder in the game. He's stealing 40 or 50 bases, and he's scoring runs. I'd rather try to get 50% of the way there then trade him at his absolute low point. Did Jim Hoey ever throw a pitch in a Twins uniform? Yes. He, he pitched did. He pitched almost a full year as like their sixth inning guy. Yes. Really? What year, what year would that have been? Like 2011 is 2012? One of their multiple 90 loss seasons. It was in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, it was bad. Gosh. Oh, yeah. He so threw 100 miles. He, he threw 100 miles an hour and had no He drove a Ferrari and couldn't reach the pedals, basically. <laughs> he had no idea where it was going. Yeah. It was bad. So we're all in agreement we wouldn't make this trade that Dave Schoenfeld put out there. But I, I think it's, and we only have a few minutes left on uh, on this particular episode of Touch Em All, but so maybe this is worth expanding on at some point. Mm-hmm. Your theory that it's more important to build out the offense than it is to build out the pitching. And I can't believe I'm saying that. I really can't believe I'm saying that. But the, the proof is in the pudding over the last four or five years of how that's been done and putting less emphasis on drafting and signing and trading for starting pitching, but rather building your day-to-day lineup first and then sort of plugging the holes when it comes to pitching. And I also think that pitching, if you can find the right pitching coach who knows how to unlock guys, that's that's really the key to making this this plan that I'm talking about work. That's what made it work for the Indians. That's what made it work for the Cubs. That's what made it work for the Brewers. The teams who have pulled this off have had that pitching coach who seems to work magic and unlock things in guys who either nobody ever saw anything in them or they they never quite lived up to the expectations that they mm-hmm. had in other stops. And, and they, they find the right coach who can sort of tap that and unlock these guys. See, I think... I agree with your theory from a playoff perspective when the number of pitchers you use shrinks, but the number of hitters in your lineup doesn't. Right. So if you're if you're looking at you get to a playoff series, you're in the ALCS. Really, the best teams are using three starting pitchers and like maybe three guys out of their bullpen unless the game gets out of hand and then they're 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 going to the mop up guys. Kenley Jansen was pitching two and two thirds out of the bullpen for the Dodgers at various times the last two years in the playoffs for the Indians too. Exactly. Andrew Miller. So if you get to the playoffs and you still have nine guys in your lineup and you need all of them to move the chains and get on base and hit for power, but you're only using five or six pitchers on a regular basis. What not to say that it's not not to say that it's easy to find those five pitchers, but it's harder to fill one through nine lineup. Right. To have a lineup that's going to go out and attack the Justin Verlanders of the world and, and score three or four runs off of those. Are we for or against 
on on the uh, on the show here in in terms of the word bullpenning and the use of bullpenning. Are we for or against mm-hmm. that on Touch Em All? We are a very forward, progressive thinking okay. baseball All operation right. here. Okay. So we agree with Brian Kenny's uh, bullpenning. Okay. Hashtag bullpenning. So yes. Touch Em All is good with me using the term bullpenning. Sure. All right. Good. The Twins All got right. bullpenned by the Yankees in that wild card game. <laughs> yes, they did. Dude, yes, they, they did. They scored three off Luis Severino. I think Luis Severino got one out, and the Yankees bullpen shut them down for the other eight and two thirds the rest Oof. of the night. It's bad. <laughs> has anybody signed? Has any have any free agents signed while we've been doing the Touch Ball podcast today, Manny? Because did Bryce Harper sign? I need action. I <laughs> need something. I need something to happen to the world of baseball. It is. It's getting. Judd has been talking about this a lot on on uh, Judd Mackey with Rami, but uh, the the uh, the baseball offseason has just slowed to an absolute crawl over the last couple of years and it makes it hard to stay interested yes. in the sport over the course of an off season. I have a way for uh, for next week sometime. Mm-hmm. I want to expand with you. I have a way to fix that. Okay. Of, of, of surefire way, I think anyways, to fix that. Good. Uh, in our last 30 seconds or 60 seconds here, congratulations to a former twin and a current twin for finishing 1-2 in the Venezuelan Winter League MVP balloting. Dalman Young the Venezuelan Winter League MVP and Williams Astadio finishes runner up. He's already my favorite twin. He's amazing. He adds he provides two things that I love in any athlete. One is big boy athlete. I love a big boy <laughs> athlete. As somebody who grew up as a big boy himself, I love I just love seeing big dudes do things big dudes should not do on the athletic playing field. And two, a guy who brings a little flair to the game. That home run celebration for in the in the Venezuelan league that he had last week was epic. epic was amazing if you haven't seen it yet find it it is absolutely yeah. unmatched i love williams estadio you can follow rami just uh, easily on twitter it's at rami r a m i e is tweeting i'm at phil mackey and our brand is at score north now